Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm your host, Sarah. And I'm Toby. And this is the Whispering Woods podcast. This episode is all about vampires. <laughs> so we'll start with a thank you to our newest patron. Kayleigh-Ann Evans. Yeah. Hi, Kayleigh-Ann. Thank you so much for your support. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, if you'd like to join us and, and help support the podcast, you can find our patron at uh, patreon.com forward slash The Whispering Woods, where you can listen ad-free and get extra episodes. I've got a correction to make on last week's episode. When I said that the Bogart, Bogarts were from Scotland, they're not. They're actually from Northern England. So I just want to correct that. Um, please don't kill me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I also want to say that um, I've done a massive introduction to vampires from pretty much all across the world. Now, I will, in all honesty, I will get some of the pronunciations wrong. So I'm sorry. That's kind of me as well. Even when I do learn pronunciations, I still get them wrong and I get rather tongue-tied. I think it's a speech impediment. But uh, there we go. That's all part of the show, isn't it, really? Right, Toby, are you ready for the introduction? Yes, I am. For thousands of years, myths and legends about vampires have been shared across various cultures, including the Mesopotamians, Hebrews, ancient Greeks and Romans. These stories often feature demonic beings and bloodthirsty spirits that served as precursors to the modern vampire. 
the specific folklore and characteristics of the vampire that we recognise today emerged primarily from the verbal traditions of southeastern Europe in the early 18th century, particularly in Transylvania, Romania. Many different ethnic groups in the region shared their tales of these creatures, which were eventually recorded and published. In general, vampires were believed to be reanimated corpses of evil beings, suicides or witches. They could also be created through possession, by malevolent spirits or through the bite of another vampire. The belief in these creatures was so widespread that it sometimes led to mass hysteria and even public executions of people suspected of being vampires. For centuries, various cultures across the globe have shared tales of undead creatures, consuming the flesh and blood of the living. While today we refer to these entities as vampires, in ancient times they were often attributed to demons or spirits with a taste for human flesh and blood. Some even equated these beings with the devil himself. Throughout history, nearly every nation has associated blood drinking with revenants or demons, from the Arabian ghouls to the Egyptian goddess Sekhmet. Blood-drinking demons were a common theme in the ancient cultures of Mesopotamia. The Persians were among the first civilizations to tell stories of these monsters, with excavated pottery shards depicting creatures attempting to drink blood from men. In Babylonia, tales of Lilitu, a mythical figure synonymous with Lilith, were prevalent. Lilith was considered a demon who survived on the blood of babies and was often depicted as such. According to traditional Jewish texts, Lilith was Adam's first wife before Eve, but she left him to become queen of the demons. She would prey on young babies and their mothers at night as well as males. Parents would hang amulets around their child's cradle to ward off attacks from Lilith. The legend of Lilith, Lilitu, originated from Sumer, where she was described as a beautiful but infertile maiden who was also a vampire. Other Mesopotamian demons, such as Lamashtu and Galu, were also mentioned with vampiric natures. Lamashtu, often depicted with a lion's head and the body of a donkey, preyed on newborns and their mothers. Galu was a demon closely associated with Lilith and was a general term for demons that threatened every house, ate flesh and drank blood. These demons were often invoked in different amulet texts and appear in Greco-Byzantine myth as child-stealing and child-killing female demons. Ancient Greek mythology contains several precursors to modern vampires, though none were considered undead. These included the Empusa, Lamia and Stryges, the Strix of ancient Roman mythology. Over time, the first two terms became general words to describe witches and demons respectively. 
Empusa was the daughter of the goddess Hecate and was described as a demonic, bronze-footed creature. She feasted on blood by transforming into a young woman and seducing men as they slept before drinking their blood. Lamia was the daughter of King Belus and a secret lover of Zeus. However, Zeus's wife Hera discovered this infidelity and killed all Lamia's offspring. Lamia swore vengeance and preyed on young children in their beds at night, sucking their blood. Like Lamia, the Stryges feasted on children, but also preyed on adults. They were described as having the bodies of crows or birds in general, and were later incorporated into Roman mythology as Strix, a kind of nocturnal bird that fed on human flesh and blood. The Romanian vampire breed, named Strigoi, has no direct relation to the Greek Stryges, but was derived from the Roman term Strix, though myths about these creatures are more similar to their Slavic equivalents. Greek vampiric entities are seen once again in Homer's epic Odyssey. In Homer's tale, the undead are too insubstantial to be heard by the living and cannot communicate with them without drinking blood first. In the epic, when Odysseus journeyed into Hades, he was made to sacrifice a black ram and a black ewe so that the shades there could drink its blood and communicate. Old Sanskrit folklore in India is replete with tales of Fetalas, a type of ghoul-like being that dwells within corpses. The Batel Panchabingshati is a compilation of most of these legends. But one prominent story is the Kathasaritsagara, and it recounts King Vikramaditya's nightly quest to capture a particularly elusive beetle. The beetle is described as an undead creature that hangs upside down on trees found in cemeteries and cremation grounds, much like the modern-day vampire bat. Other vampiric entities, such as the Pishacha, who are the spirits of evildoers or those who died insane, also feature in these tales. In Hebrew folklore, the term aluka, meaning leech, is used to describe vampires or vampirism. Similarly, the term motazdam, meaning bloodsucker, is also used. Sefer Hasidism provides a detailed description of the aluka, which is believed to be a human capable of transforming into a wolf and flying by releasing its long hair. Without blood, the aluka would eventually die, and burying it with earth stuffed in its mouth could prevent it from becoming a demon. The Jewish diaspora in Central Europe developed the tradition of Lilith, who could transform into an animal and charm her victims into thinking she was benevolent. However, she and her daughters usually strangled their victims rather than draining their blood. The Kabbalah contains an amulet that mentions Adam, Eve, Lilith and angels, and a few lines in Yiddish depict a conversation between the prophet Elijah and Lilith. Other stories in Sefer Hasidim depict vampires more traditionally. 
such as the Astraea, an old vampire who used her hair to drain blood. Estries were believed to prey on Hebrew citizens, and Shmel Yosef Agnon's The Lady and the Peddler tells the tale of a peddler who encounters a woman named Helen, who kills her husbands and drinks their blood to stay young and beautiful. In the 12th century, Walter Mapp and William of Newburgh, two English historians and chroniclers, documented stories of revenants. Records of vampiric beings in the English legends after this time are scarce. Nevertheless, similar tales of vampires emerged in southeastern Europe and Transylvania during the 18th century, which eventually formed the basis of the vampire legend that later spread to Germany and England. During the 18th century, a frenzy of vampire sightings occurred in southeastern Europe and Transylvania. There were frequent stakings and grave diggings to identify and kill potential revenants. And even government officials were compelled to participate in the hunt for vampires. Despite the Age of Enlightenment, during which most folkloric legends were quashed, the belief in vampires skyrocketed, resulting in mass hysteria throughout Europe. The panic began with reports of alleged vampire attacks in East Prussia in 1721 and in the Habsburg monarchy from 1725 to 1734, which quickly spread to other localities. The first officially recorded cases involved the corpses of Petr Blagovic and Arnold Pale from Serbia. Blagovic allegedly returned after his death asking his son for food and attacking neighbours who refused him. Pale, an ex-soldier turned farmer, died while haying, and people in the surrounding area began dying soon after, leading many to believe that Pale had returned to prey on them. These incidents were well documented, with government officials examining the bodies, writing case reports and publishing books throughout Europe. The resulting hysteria, known as the 18th century vampire controversy, raged for a generation. Rural epidemics of vampire attacks exasperated the problem, as locals dug up bodies and staked them in some cases. Although many scholars reported that vampires did not exist, superstitious belief continued to increase. In 1746, Dom Augustine Calmet, a respected French theologian and scholar, published a comprehensive treatise on vampire incidents, which was ambiguous concerning the existence of vampires. Although some readers, including Voltaire, interpreted the treatise as claiming that vampires existed, others attributed reports to premature burial or rabies. The controversy only ceased when Empress Maria Theresa of Austria sent her personal physician, Gerard van Sweden, to investigate claims of vampiric entities. He concluded that vampires did not exist, and the Empress passed laws prohibiting the opening of graves and desecration of bodies, bringing an end to the vampire epidemics. Albanian folklore is rife with tales of vampire creatures, including Striga and Dampia. The Striga, a vampiric witch, is particularly notorious for its habit of sucking the blood of sleeping infants at night 
and transforming into a flying insect, typically a moth, fly or bee. Only the Striga herself could cure those she had drained, but this was a rare occurrence. The Striga is often depicted as a woman with a twisted face and cape, exuding an aura of malice. The male noun for Striga is Strigu, or Strigan. Edith Durham recorded several traditional methods for warding off Striga, including placing a pig bone across the entrance of church on Easter Sunday, which traps any Striga inside. They can then be easily captured and killed as they try to escape. The Striga would often retreat to the woods to regurgitate the blood it had consumed. It is said that a silver coin soaked in this blood and wrapped in cloth can be used as an amulet to offer permanent protection against Striga. The modern Greek word vrykolakas, derived from a Slavic word meaning werewolf, bears little resemblance to its ancient Greek predecessors, but shares similarities with the European vampire. The belief in vampires, commonly referred to as vrykolakas, persisted throughout Greek history and became so widespread in the 18th and 19th centuries that practices were enforced to both prevent and combat vampirism. One such practice involved exhuming the deceased from their graves after three years of death and placing the remains in a box while pouring wine over them and having a priest read from scriptures. If the body had not sufficiently decayed, it would be labelled avricolacus and dealt with accordingly. Vampirism in Greek folklore could occur through various means, such as being excommunicated, desecrating a religious day, committing a great crime or dying alone. Other causes included having a cat jump across one's grave, eating meat from a sheep killed by a wolf, or being cursed. Vricolacas were believed to be indistinguishable from living people, giving rise to many fake tales with this theme. To ward off vampires, crosses and blessed bread were used in different places. To prevent vampires from rising from the dead, their hearts were pierced with iron nails while resting in their graves, or their bodies were burned and the ashes scattered. Cremation was considered a last resort due to the church's opposition to burning people who would have received the myron of chrismation in the baptism ritual. Unlike traditional ghosts found in other parts of the world, Icelandic draugar were believed to be corporeal. Scholars argued that these undead creatures share similarities with Eastern European vampires more so than ghosts. Icelandic medieval undead can be categorised into two groups. Varumen, or guardians, and Tilbara Dregar, or parasitic ghosts. Varumen remain in a specific location, often their burial mound or home, and protect their treasures from thieves and trespassers. They are driven by greed and unwillingness to part with their worldly possessions. Tilbara Dregar, on the other hand, roam the earth and harass the living, attempting to drive them mad or even kill them. They can turn their victims into more Draegar by dragging them into their graves. 
This comparison to vampires is not new, as Andrew Lang made a similar observation in 1897 when he referred to the Draegar glamour in Greta's saga as a vampire. Similar methods were used to eradicate both Draegar and vampires, such as decapitation or driving nails or sharp stakes into the body to immobilise it. In the Scottish Highlands, the Bauban Sea lurks with its malicious and succubus-like ways. While the vampiric tendencies of the Lian and Shi haunt the Isle of Man, Scotland and Ireland, these fairy spirits draw inspiration from various Irish myths, which have also influenced authors like Sheridan Le Fanu and Bram Stoker. Meanwhile, in County Kerry, the legend of Drogfahul and the castle of Drogfahula add to the rich folklore of the McKillie Cuddy's Reeks Mountains. The tale of Apartak, an evil tyrant who rises from his grave to spread terror and drink blood, is also a popular legend. Lastly, the Gankana, or Gankorna, a seductive male fairy, is said to lure and kill young women without casting a shadow and only entering homes with an invitation, being repelled by the sign of the cross. Vampirism in Slavic folklore can be attributed to various causes. Among the most common are being a magician or an immoral person, untimely death such as suicide, excommunication, improper burial rituals and being born with certain physical characteristics like teeth, tail or call. In Serbian folk belief, an animal jumping or a bird flying over the corpse or empty grave can also lead to vampirism. In southern Russia, those who talk to themselves were thought to be at risk of becoming vampires. Interestingly, Slavic vampires could take the form of butterflies, which symbolise departed souls. There are also accounts of living vampires, or people with two souls, witches who could leave their bodies and engage in harmful activities while sleeping. In the Nemplatches Chronicle, one of the earliest European records of vampire activity can be found. Written in the 14th century, likely in 1360, the chronicle tells of a shepherd named Maislata from Blof who died and was buried, only to rise from the grave each night. He spoke to the living and frightened them, eventually beginning to kill them. If he called out someone's name and stopped at their home, they would die in eight days. The people of several villages decided to exhume him and burn his body, causing him to scream and bleed when stabbed with a stick. After the burning, the evil event stopped. Another case is mentioned in the Naplax Chronicle from 1344, in which a woman from Levin returned from the grave, killing several people and dancing on their bodies. When she was staked and exhumed, Blood poured out of her as if she were still alive. She even ate her own clothes, which were bloody once removed from her mouth. Despite attempts to stop her, she continued to attack villagers until they burned her. Strangely, the wood wouldn't catch fire until pieces of the church roof were used. The East Slavic beliefs have a unique twist in the northern regions, which mostly include Russia. Unlike the vampires of other Slavic peoples, 
the undead in the north do not drink blood and are not referred to as vampires. Meanwhile, Ukrainian and Belarusian legends follow a more traditional approach. Although the vampires in Ukraine may not necessarily be dead and can display vampiric behaviour before passing away. Interestingly, Ukrainian folklore portrays vampires as having red faces and small tails. However, during the 19th century cholera epidemics, some individuals were wrongly accused of vampirism and burned alive by their neighbours. According to South Slavic folklore, vampires underwent several stages of transformation. During the first 40 days, a vampire was believed to be shaped into its final form. Starting as an invisible shadow, it fed on the lifeblood of the living, gradually morphing into a jelly-like, boneless entity. Over time, it developed a human-like body that closely resembled the one it had in life. Once fully formed, the vampire was able to leave its grave and live a new life as a human. Typically male, the vampire was also known to be sexually active and could have children with his widow or a new wife. These offspring had the potential to become vampires themselves, but also possessed a unique ability to detect and eliminate vampires, effectively becoming vampire hunters. Those born on Saturday were thought to possess a special talent. In the Dalmatian region of Croatia, Amora or Amorana was known to be a female vampire who preyed on men. And the Kozlak, Kozlak, were the recently deceased who lived impiously. These beings would haunt crossroads, bridges, caves and graveyards, terrorising locals and feeding on blood. Only a wooden stake would kill them. In Croatia, Slovenia, the Czech Republic and Slovakia, the Pijavika was a vampire who had lived a wicked and sinful life as a human and became a fierce killer. Incest, especially between a mother and son, was a way to create a Pijavika, which would then prey on its former family. To keep it out, locals would place mashed garlic and wine at windows and thresholds. The only way to kill it was by fire while awake and through the rite of exorcism if found in its grave during the day. In Bulgaria, from medieval times to the early 1900s, it was common practice to stake corpses through the heart with iron to prevent them from becoming vampires. In 1672, the region of Istria in modern-day Croatia was home to one of the earliest recorded instances of vampire activity. The culprit was Giar Grando, a local vampire from the village of Kringa near Tinjan, who caused widespread panic among the villagers. Despite having died in 1656, Grando supposedly returned from the dead to drink the blood of the living and sexually harass his widow. After a stake failed to kill him, the village leader ultimately beheaded him with success. In Romani culture, the mullow, or the dead one, is believed to rise from the grave and carry out malicious deeds, including drinking the blood of their relatives or those who caused their death. The careless handling of burial ceremonies or possessions of the deceased could also make one vulnerable to the wrath of the mullow. Interestingly, female vampires were known to lead normal lives, even marrying, 
but eventually they would exhaust their husbands with their insatiable sexual appetite. In a similar vein, male vampires were believed to father children, known as dampers, who could be hired to detect and eliminate vampires. In Spain, various myths and legends exist about creatures with vampiric tendencies. One such being is the Guaxa in Asturias, an old vampire with a single tooth who feeds on the blood of its victims. In Cantabria, the equivalent is known as Guajona. Meanwhile, Catalonia has the story of Dip, an evil vampire dog. Mega Chuchona is a type of Galician witch in Galicia, known for entering houses with captives and sucking their blood at dawn, causing them to lose weight until their bodies are reflected. Even the Canary Islands have their own tale of vampiric beings, such as the blood-sucking witches in the legend of the Witches of Anaga in Tenerife. Throughout Africa, there are countless tales of supernatural beings with vampiric abilities. For instance, the Ashanti people of West Africa regale stories of the Asanbosam, a tree-dwelling creature with teeth made of iron. The Yu people speak of the Adzi, a shape-shifting firefly that preys on unsuspecting children. In the Eastern Cape region of South Africa, one can hear tales of the Impandula, a massive bird capable of summoning thunder and lightning. Lastly, the Betsy Leo people of Madagascar recount stories of the Ramanga, a living vampire who feeds on the blood and nail clippings of nobles. The Sukhoyant of Trinidad, Tunda and Patsaloa of Colombian folklore, and the blood-sucking snake Puchin of the Mapute in southern Chile are all female vampire-like creatures. In South American superstition, hanging aloe vera backwards behind or near a door was believed to ward off these vampiric beings. Aztec mythology tells stories of the Chihuatetio, skeletal-faced spirits of women who died in childbirth and would steal children and engage in sexual relationships with the living, driving them insane. The Lugaru is a prime example of how vampire legends can arise from a blend of different cultural beliefs. This particular myth originated from a fusion of French and African voodoo, with the term Lugaru lightly stemming from the French word for werewolf, loup garou. Although the legend is most prevalent in Mauritius, tales of the Lugaru can be found throughout the Caribbean islands and Louisiana in the United States. Historically, there was a widespread belief in vampires in parts of New England during the late 18th and 19th centuries, particularly in Rhode Island and eastern Connecticut. Families would often exhume the bodies of their deceased loved ones and remove their hearts, believing that the deceased was a vampire responsible for the sickness and death within the family. However, the term vampire was never explicitly used to describe the deceased. Instead, the deadly disease tuberculosis, known as consumption at the time, was thought to be caused by a dead family member who had died of consumption, making nightly visits to the living. Vampire folklore has a rich history in Asia, 
originating from ancient myths and legends. The tales of ghoulish entities spread throughout the continent, from mainland China to the islands of Southeast Asia. India, too, developed its own vampiric legends, including the Bhuta, or Preta, which animates dead bodies at night to attack the living. In northern India, the Brahmaric Shaza is a vampire-like creature with a head encircled by intestines from which it drinks blood. While Japan has no native legends about vampires, some mythical creatures bear similarities, such as the Nyo'ona, a snake-like woman that feasts on human blood. Female vampire-like beings are found throughout the Philippines, Malaysia, Cambodia and Indonesia, with the Tagalog Mandaruga and the Visayan Mananagal being the two main creatures in the Philippines. The Mandarugo takes the form of an attractive girl by day, but develops wings and a long hollow tongue by night, using it to suck fetuses of pregnant women. The Mananagal is an older, beautiful woman who can sever her upper torso to fly into the night and prey on sleeping pregnant women. In Malaysia, the Penagalan is a beautiful woman who can detach her fanged head to fly around at night in search of blood, often from pregnant women. Malaysians would hang jiraju or thistles around their homes to deter the Penagalan. The Layak is a similar creature from Balinese folklore. In Indonesia, the Pontianak, Kuntilanak or Mantianak and the Langswer in Malaysia are women who died during childbirth and became undead, seeking revenge and terrorising villages. In Cambodia, the ab detaches her head at night and flies through windows in search of hearts, lungs and the blood of dead or alive animals. Jiangxi, also known as Chinese vampires, are reanimated corpses that follow a sorcerer back to their hometown for burial. When the spell paper falls off, the Jiangxi becomes dangerous, killing living creatures to absorb life essence. The Chinese vampire is often depicted with long curved fingernails and greenish-white furry skin. And lastly, Sri Lanka has its own vampire folklore with the Ririyaka or blood demon being a towering giant who emerged as a demon after killing his mother. He is closely associated with Mara, the demon king of death. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm going to be putting together a bunch of reels. I've got some really interesting cases that I want to share. Um, I didn't, I couldn't fit them all into the podcast, so I'm going to do them separately as reels because then um, I come across so much stuff when I'm doing the research and I want to include it all. But to be quite frank, we would just be here all week. Um, so I'm doing a, a collection of reels focused around vampires. Okay. What's, what's your favourite vampire film? Uh... I don't think I've really watched any vampire films. Oh, mate. You're going to have to sit. Except like, um, except like Hotel Transylvania and that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got loads. Um, I think actually because I am a 70s child, one of the my best vampire films have got to be The Lost Boys. It's amazing. I need to rewatch it actually because I haven't done for such, such a long time. Um, Salem's Lot, I think that's really, really creepy, and they're remaking it, I believe. What, Salem? Yeah, it's another Stephen King film, because they seem to be going through those at the moment. I've read the book as well, which is really, really creepy. Yeah, so that's interesting. I can't wait, I'll keep my... But actually, no, I'm not even going to say it, because when I look forward to horror movies coming out, they're always a load of rubbish. So I'm not looking forward to it. I'm just going to take it as it comes and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> now, if anybody is really interested in vampires, um, like I, I used to be really obsessed with them, actually. I would, and if you haven't done so, I would recommend reading the... I read those when I was in my 20s, I think, and they are amazing. And they are focused around like New Orleans in America and they're brilliant books I think she passed away a couple of years ago which is really sad um, and she wrote the um, interview with the vampire the film but there is, they are actually a series of books and they're worth a read on these long summer days if you actually in your summer at the moment ever seen a vampire? no I have not I've seen people that have got something about them and I've, I've thought yeah you know Something's going on there. <laughs> yeah, I really have, which brings us to the story. It's only one story today because of the massive introduction. But also I want to say that there are so many different types of vampires um, and we will revisit some of these, the scarier ones and the scarier stories, as we will indeed the Fae Folk too. Right, are you ready for the story? Yes, I am. For six years, my mother has been the welcoming face of a small rural hospital, serving as the ER receptionist. From 7pm to 7am, she greets every type of person imaginable, from transients to drug addicts to locals. It's safe to say she's seen it all, encountering each character multiple times. However, one evening was different, something she had never seen before and never seen since, crossed her path. During her first year at the hospital, my mother easily adapted to the routine and was trusted to handle the counter independently. Being stationed at the front of the hospital, she had a clear view of the parking lot and could detect anyone coming in from a distance. One night, while she was engrossed in her computer work, 
she glanced up and was taken aback to find two strangers standing before her. The pair, a man and a woman, stood motionless and gazed intently at her while my mother reciprocated the stare. Given the deserted state of the parking lot with no vehicles in sight, their sudden appearance was quite unnerving. As they entered the lobby, time seemed to slow down. It wasn't until they approached the desk that my mum's intuition kicked in, signalling that something was amiss. The first thing that caught her attention was their height. Towering over the average person, the desk only reached mid-chest on them. The woman's pelvic bone was visible, a detail that made my mum uneasy. Their gaunt bodies emphasised by their skeletal frames. My mum made a point to mention that they didn't fit the stereotype of drug addicts, adding to the mystery of their presence. The lady repeatedly caressed her neck with her slender fingers, complaining about the pain in her throat. My mother, unusually silent, simply gazed at her. The word strigoi echoed in her mind, haunting her thoughts. The woman looked at mum, then turned to the man beside her, and back to my mum again, all the while grinning and rubbing her neck. She asked the man, Do you think she will let us through, or should we go somewhere else? My mum remained mute as the woman continued gazing at her, before they both beamed at my mum and departed. Shortly after, my mother sent me a text, inquiring whether vampires were required to seek permission to enter places such as hospitals. I responded by indicating that since she was the one responsible for determining who was allowed to come into the emergency room, the vampires would require her consent. We were both aware that Strigoi was a type of Romanian vampire legend, and that was the term that kept recurring in her thoughts. The couple that she encountered that night remains a distant memory as they have never crossed paths again. But this incident is still a topic of discussion between us, prompting me to ponder about the possibility of the supernatural. Now, I know that's only a little story, but I find that really creepy and unnerving, that story. Yeah. Because I think you you do sense things in people, don't you, in danger, and, like, your intuition can kick in. I don't know. I just feel like some people are just like, Dodgy, like. Yeah. But do, what, do you think it was paranormal? or? Nah, I just think they're dodgy, like. Yeah, but it was like they were asking permission, wasn't it, to come in? Because you know the old, you know, they're meant to, you're meant to get permission, aren't you, before you can be let in. Yeah, and they said, like, do you think they'll let us in? Like, mm. what? Why wouldn't they let you in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because, like, my hackles would be right up. If someone said that, I'd you know? say I'd probably think they got a bomb or something. But I think it, I, I think I'd also be like, God, I want to be a vampire. Nah, yeah. not either. <laughs> we, we discussed this on another episode, didn't we? We said we'd be fine with it as long as all of our family is uh, a vampire as well. Yeah, yeah. So and like, our mates. I could start the tradition off, and then we could just infect everybody. <laughs> <laughs> It couldn't be so bad. I'd like it, especially if I could fly, mate. I'd be there. Yeah, I can just turn fly. into a bat, innit? Yeah, yeah. Or even just like flap my wings. 
<laughs> Flap my arms and fly. And that is the end of this episode. I hope you did enjoy. Please mm, let us know what you'd like to hear. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And we will catch up with you again next week. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.